If you're still deciding on your spring break getaway, Amtrak's got just the ticket. You can visit cities from D.C. and Philly to New York and Boston, all while enjoying more sustainable travel. Amtrak produces up to 83% less carbon emissions than traveling by car or plane. And did we mention the extra legroom and comfy seats? Book early and save at Amtrak.com. Click or tap the banner. Emissions comparisons vary depending on route and locomotive type. Restrictions may apply. You're listening to a podcast on Catholic Saints. This podcast is produced by the Augustan Institute, an apostolate helping Catholics understand, live, and share their faith. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Catholic Saints. My name is Taylor Kemp. I am the Director of Formed, and with me is Dr. John Seahorn. Hey, Dr. Seahorn. Dr. Seahorn is the academic dean here at the Augusta Institute and a teacher. He has been my teacher, uh, and he taught me about who we are talking about today, which is St. Boniface. Now, unfortunately, I did not remember too much. That was not a failure of the teacher, but a failure of the student, perhaps. But this is a great opportunity in the providence of God for me to be re-educated about St. Boniface. Yeah, a little bit of a review. Yes. What so, do you remember about St. Boniface, Taylor? I, I, look, okay, you and I just did a little bit of a review and it brought some things back. If you would have asked me that before, I think I what I would have said is he had something to do with England. I think he would have been somewhere between the 8th and 12th century and he was a missionary. That's what I think I would have honestly That's, said. I mean, I could imagine someone doing worse. Yeah, sure. If they hadn't <laughs> gone through probably two weeks of learning about him, uh, yeah, no, that yeah, that's true. Yeah, there's okay, room for improvement. <laughs> Boniface is known as the apostle to what? Where? England. Ah, uh, okay. Is it a modern country today, or is it a? It is. Germany. Germany. The All apostle right. to Germany. I wouldn't yeah. have got that. So. No, that, that's okay. I mean, you're right to associate him with England. So, um, you you you're right as well. Ish, when you when you say eighth century, okay. Mm -hmm. So bon Boniface was born. First of all, his name was Winfred originally. It's a great name. Right? So he he was Anglo-Saxon. He um, he was born and raised in uh, the kingdom of Wessex, which is sort of uh, southwestern England. Um, born around six seventy five, right? So most okay. of his career, uh, he's ordained. I want to say in seven oh five, something like that. So his okay. his um, his priestly and missionary career all takes place in the eighth century. So you got that right. Uh, and and you're right to associate him with England, and that's that's actually um, maybe the first remarkable thing uh, about Saint Boniface is not really about him personally, mm -hmm. but about his context, right? Okay. So um, the idea of a saint uh, who is going to be known as a missionary to mainland Europe mm -hmm. uh, is is kind of interesting historically. So. Um, uh, the the history of Christianity in England is a really fascinating topic, but uh, it seems to be the case that it was it was uh, evangelized fairly early. It's hard to kind of nail down a lot of details, although mm -hmm. we have little you know snippets here and there. Well, in in the year I want to say 410, it was that um, that the Roman Empire finally gave up, just relinquished any kind of control in Britain, mm -hmm. right? So they withdraw from Britain. And, and now the Christians there are in a certain sense on their own. It's not mm -hmm. that they've like left communion with uh, the Church of Rome, uh, with the Catholic Church, anything like that. Um, but there's just not as much kind of robust communication, okay. uh, interchange, things like that. Uh, this situation is uh, drastically worsened in the succeeding century when, um, 
when Britain is invaded mm-hmm. um, uh, by tribes from uh, from sort of uh, northern Europe. Okay. And um, and anyway, by the time you get to kind of the end of the sixth century, um, you know, England is there are still Christians there. Uh, but it's kind of a mess, and they're mm-hmm. not in regular communication with the rest of the church, and so on and so forth. Why would that happen? Why Why did Rome kind of recede? Well, Rome was busy with a lot of things oh, going on, right? True. I mean, the, the Western Empire at this point is is falling apart. That's why they yeah, had to enough. withdraw yeah. in the first place from Britain, right? 410 is is also the year of um, of uh, Alaric's sack yeah. of, of Rome, which ends up prompting Augustine to write the City of God. Yep. So there's there's an awful lot going on. Well, fast forward then um, to um, the end of the sixth century, mm-hmm. okay, and we have a very famous pope who reigned from 590 to 604, and his name was Gregory. Very good, Gregory the Great. Nailed it. Nailed okay, it. so Gregory the Great, um, who also has an awful lot on his plate um, that's going on. Um, Okay, I'll, I'll resist the temptation to get distracted. With that, <laughs> Good job, but, well done. But he he um he really takes it on himself to um to initiate a kind of uh, um a project of re-evangelizing England and mm-hmm. and kind of reconnecting with England. So mm-hmm. he famously sends um, Augustine of Canterbury, mm-hmm. right, with with companions. But Saint Augustine of Canterbury is the most famous uh, to go and sort of reestablish contact. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and you can read all about it, especially in in uh, Saint Bede the Venerable's uh, history of the Church mm-hmm. in England, and um, and so it's astonishing then that within a century, uh, that that um, that reestablishment of Christianity in England has made enough progress that you can have someone like Boniface, who's a native Anglo-Saxon, who is um, essentially. Uh, educated and then and really raised in um, in monasteries, mm-hmm. um, and then who can himself become uh, a missionary to Europe, um, where he himself is going to, in a way, almost um, it's like you know paying it forward or something. Uh, what Augustine of Canterbury had done for England, Boniface is going to do for uh, Germany. So mm-hmm. you can sort of roughly think of um, sort of parts of central and northern Europe. Uh, so you're saying Augustine of Canterbury, the work, the kind of foundation that he laid set Boniface up yeah. in, in many respects. I mean, that that's an encouraging message for anybody out there who is laboring in difficult <laughs> fields, oh, yeah. so to speak, That and you may not see uh, kind of the fruit that your ministry bears, well, but that you are laying a foundation for you someone know, else. You know, Boniface himself, you, you mentioned the foundation. I'll, I'll, let me just read you a quotation um, yeah, that... I thought maybe I'd, I'd um, save for the end, but I, I think it, it's really fitting to maybe say it now that we can kind of backfill and yeah. understand how this works. Uh, because um, Christopher Dawson, who is a, a famous, eminent uh, Catholic historian, uh, wrote this once about St. Boniface. He said, the work of St. Boniface did more than any other factor to lay the foundations of medieval Christendom. His mission to Germany was part of a far-sighted program of construction and reform planned with all the method and statesmanship of the Roman tradition. Mm. Okay, this is, that's, that's quite a mm-hmm. statement to make. But what's, what's really um, amazing is that there's lots of evidence in his own letters that Boniface felt more or less like a failure. Hmm. Right? <laughs> okay. Yeah. And, and this is not an uncommon story no. to hear. I mean, you know, go back, we just mentioned St. Augustine and him watching the Western Empire fall, mm-hmm. right? Augustine is on his deathbed in the North African city of Hippo in the year 430 
when the 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 uh, vandals mm -hmm. there's a reason we call it vandalism right it's named after this group of barbarians are besieging his city mm. and it must just look like everything that he'd labored for mm -hmm. was literally going to burn right so this is this is not an uncommon story and no. as you said it, it should be a source of consolation for us yeah that's right so he is sent out he is going to He's from England, but he's going to Germany. There is, uh, it's an interesting time. It was one, it still is Christian, but it's been kind of separated. It's a little chaotic. Yeah. Yeah. So in a way, similarly, similar to the situation that England had been in, mm -hmm. you know, a, a century earlier, it is interesting that, um, yeah, I mean, Boniface very much had this missionary heart, this desire, especially actually just to convert pagans. Okay. He didn't want to have to go and reform, you know, kind of uh, half repaganized half, half uh, places. Yeah. And it's interesting, his his career is sort of bookended by these attempts to preach to pagans. So he, he did that first before um, uh, turning his attention to um, these other regions. And then actually he went back at the end of his life. He died in uh, 754 mm -hmm. and he was actually martyred by mm -hmm. the Frisians, this, uh, this um, uh, non-Christian uh, tribe that he was, he was evangelizing. Wow. Uh, but in between, uh, he, and you know, there's, there's no need to sort of go through all of the details, the various regions he went to and all the ins and outs of it. Although it's very well documented because um, not only do we have um, well, more than one life of St. Boniface that's come down to us. We also have um, uh, quite, I mean, I, I have actually a collection of them here, the letters of St. Boniface. Mm -hmm. um, this one translated by Ephraim Emerton. And um, and so it's it's really interesting to, you know, kind of keep track of who he's writing to and what's going on, what are the problems that he's facing, you know, what's he reporting on. Uh, but But the basic point is that he spends... Um, about about four decades mm -hmm. under three different popes, mm -hmm. uh, but always in close contact with them, uh, working with them, traveling around Europe, um, and in a sense, re-evangelizing and reforming the churches uh, that he finds there. And so how is he doing that? Well, what do you, what do you mean by how? Like, what are so the problems he, or like... Yeah, what, so the people that he's facing, the problems that he's facing. So he's going out and he's traveling around Europe and he's trying to evangelize. What is he doing? <laughs> Is he is he preaching? Is he writing? Is he building things? What what's he doing? What are the problems that he's he's tackling? Well, he's doing all kinds of things, right? So, I mean, it, it, and sometimes it depends on on the context, right? right? And um, and what the problem is that needs to be handled. I mean, the most famous story about Saint Boniface uh, happened probably around seven twenty three or seven twenty four. Mm -hmm. So that's actually just I, I I think he was consecrated a bishop. Justin, he was a priest already, but, um, as I said, in 705. And I think he was consecrated bishop in 722 okay. uh, in Rome, actually by the Pope. Uh, and then a year or two later, he's he's in um, central Germany and, um, and he's noticing all of this kind of pagan veneration of you know, sacred trees and, and uh, things like that. It wasn't just trees, uh, springs, uh, mm. things like that. And... Um, and kind of on the advice, actually, of some sympathizers that he had among mm -hmm. these people, they said, look, here's this oak, uh, the oak of Thonor or Donar. You can get different versions of it. Mm -hmm. It's basically Thor. <laughs> it's like a form of Jupiter or Thor. Jupiter okay. would be like the Latin version, right? And uh, and they said, to paraphrase, dude, chop it down. <laughs> yeah. Right? 
Knock down uh, the idol. Show them, yeah, down, show them, yeah. show them that um, that this is just a tree, mm-hmm. and that uh, the God whom you serve and whom you represent, whose authority you bear, is more powerful mm-hmm. um, than Thor. And um, and so it does seem to be sort of like this stage thing where like mm-hmm. there's a whole bunch of pagans there watching, like, oh man, this guy's gonna get it. <laughs> and um, and he apparently just put like a notch in in the trunk of the tree, mm-hmm. just you know like one swing of the hatchet or whatever, and uh, lightning struck it. Mm. And the tree fell and um, and split into four pieces. Very much like Elijah's showdown with yeah, the prophets that's, of Baal. No, that's exactly right. Yeah. And and so there was this this understanding that uh, oh yeah, that like I guess I guess our gods aren't, yeah. aren't so awesome we can, after we all. Can switch teams. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> so um, but that sort of stunt was not what he typically did. It was it yeah. was really just the tireless work of um, especially working with clergy um, and exhorting them because. Again, these are people who, many of them who still call themselves Christians, mm-hmm. but who were, in the words of um, his early biographer, Willibald, um, that was his name. I, uh, I believe it. Who, um, I don't know if you and Brittany are thinking about boys' names. We are. You know, there and you go, Willibald. Willibald would be a new candidate. Yep. Write it down. Yep. <laughs> um, he says that, right, that these people were, um, and this is again confirmed in what we have from Boniface himself, were practicing. Uh, idolatry. We're practicing pagan superstition under the cloak of Christianity. Yeah, right? and it, it makes you wonder if they knew that. You know, I, like how much ignorance did they have? It because it, it goes to show. You know, I was just thinking about as you were talking about they're disconnected from Rome. It's a yeah. little chaotic. They are yeah. Christians, but but a Christian, you know, who is not living a life of communion with Christ through the sacraments, through a life of prayer, uh, and through a life of also some level of intellectual formation, if you don't do all of those, like you're gonna get a little off, you know, like, and it's just, it goes to show we are an educational apostolate. We obviously believe deeply in this truth, but that when you're disconnected from the truth, the truths of the faith and, and people who can open those up and, and lead and guide, it's very easy to get confused. It's very easy to get lost completely unintentionally, mm-hmm. not totally without, if, unless there's someone who, you know, a great bishop, a great priest, a great friend, a great teacher who can be like, Hey, you know, you're, this is a little off. Um, but that, I think that that, that was, that's kind of a, when you're talking about they, they're disconnected they're they've got few resources to help. Shape them. Yeah, I mean, and I think it's just like the arteries get clogged, right? Yeah, yeah, you know, and and um, and you kind of let your guard down, and the world seeps back, back in. You don't even realize it, and it does seem to be the case that much of Boniface's success is attributable to the openness of those to whom he was talking. Like, oh, mm-hmm. we didn't realize. I mean, there's stories about these Christian priests who are sacrificing animals on Eucharistic the altars, op- right? And and who some of whom really probably didn't know better, some of whom probably did, right? Yeah. I and mean, that's really for God to judge. But, you know, as you were talking, Taylor, I thought it's, I, I, I hesitate to say this because I love the story of the felling of the Oak of Thorn. Yeah. Right? It's just like, yeah, like, go on. <laughs> okay, but um, but maybe Boniface should also be faithful for uh, famous uh, for some other things, like um, his um, his evident respect for the intellect of the kind of repaganized Christians he was talking to. And so um, we have, there's at least one letter I can think of where he's giving advice to, I think, another Catholic uh, um, clergyman um, about how to engage pagans. Mm. And 
and really in a, in a lot of ways, like gently, like using mm -hmm. reason, appealing to reason and, and thinking through these things carefully, reconnecting them with God's word, mm -hmm. right? You mentioned that, that was huge for Boniface. Mm -hmm. um, uh, his, his biographer, uh, Willibald talks about this. And again, something you see really clearly in his letters is his profound devotion to scripture that he's just absorbed mm. in it. He was known as an excellent teacher of scripture when he was still in the monastery before he went on a mission. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that really was central to his preaching. There's a, there's a wonderful story where he writes to, I believe an abbess that he, um, a, you know, a friend of his back in, back in England. And he requests that she, uh, I guess, raise the funding that would be needed for this and so forth, but that she send him a book with the letters of Peter from the mm. New Testament written in gold, mm. right? Now, why would he do this? And it seems to me for a couple of reasons. One is so that when he shows people something written in gold, it communicates that this, is, this isn't just any book. Yeah, this this is, these are yeah. precious words. These are life-giving words. These are, mm. these are words um, you know, of which we should be in awe. Mm -hmm. um, and that we should venerate. Uh, and then also, I think it's interesting, and he doesn't explain why the letters of Peter, but my personal theory is mm -hmm. it's because it's because of his um, conviction of the importance of not just sort of nominal, oh yeah, we're in communion with Bishop of Rome, mm -hmm. fine, but of, of a real connection mm -hmm. uh, to the Holy Father, right? And to the Catholic communion um, the, uh, you know, of which he is, a, is the touchstone on earth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so did he... What did he think about structures and hierarchy and communion? I mean, it's it's an interesting place he's being put in because he's reconnecting. He yeah. is the connecting point in many respects between the universal church. He's a bishop at this point um, with Rome, but he's in a far off land. Like, is yeah. What, what well, did he think about for him? For him himself in England, right? Because of the missionary efforts of Augustine of Canterbury. Um, and and others that there was um, a lot of rich communication between mm -hmm. England and Rome at this point, right? But as you say, that that wasn't the case um, in all other places mm -hmm. in in Europe. Um, yeah, so it's interesting that Boniface, on on the one hand, um, right, he's he's always very very deferential uh, toward the Pope and um, and clearly believes in the authority of the papacy, and so he often is writing to, uh, it was Gregory II, Gregory III, and then mm -hmm. uh, Pope Zachary uh, with whom he worked and under whom he worked. And um, and he would often write to them to kind of get decisions on certain things and mm -hmm. it was really deferential to uh, their authority. But he also um, uh, really tried to embody what we would call the principle of subsidiarity, mm. right? It's not just about sort of centralizing Rome and referring every little, every little detail mm -hmm. uh, to um, to the Vatican. Uh, instead, it's having a kind of um, healthy system of, again, subsidiarity, uh, of kind of pastoral subsidiarity. So uh, some of the reforms you see uh, Boniface um, promoting are mm -hmm. like telling bishops like, hey, you need to like, you know, go around your diocese. Mm -hmm. And talk to all of uh, the pastors in your parishes, talk mm -hmm. to all of your priests and have a good sense of their spiritual health and the health of their people and check mm -hmm. in with them on how the how the faithful are doing and where are there problems that need some attention, where are there errors that need to be corrected, where are there conflicts that need to be resolved. Mm -hmm. um, and then these bishops themselves were to meet regularly in synod, mm -hmm. right, um, in, in council to kind of check in with each other and they would report mm -hmm. to their metropolitan archbishop who wore the pallium, right? The 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 insignia of um, 
uh, authority from Rome, mm-hmm. and then that metropolitan then in turn could could bring things to the Pope's attention if necessary, right? Um, and um, you know, it's it's uh, oh the other thing I'll say you, you asked about structure is mm-hmm. uh, that's huge about Boniface is the enormous number of monastic foundations. Hmm. Uh, that that he um, that he initiated he and some of his co-workers mm-hmm. right um, and it just they dotted the landscape of Europe and that's one of the key ways that uh, that um, he accomplishes what Christopher Dawson says and lays the foundation for medieval um, for medieval Christendom let me ask why do you think that would be a priority for someone like Boniface so because monasteries you know like why would that be something clearly if he did a lot of this at some point he thought this is important. I, I should. Do well, this. he was a monk himself. That would right? do it. Yeah. Well, so why did he, why you know as even a monk why would he, why does he think this is so important to plant monasteries? Well, um, you know we we often think now of uh, the monastic life of religious life as kind of the life of the super Christian, mm-hmm. and I often think about a letter that Pope Gregory the Great wrote to um, the Byzantine Emperor Maurice who uh, was, had, had sort of um, issued an edict, I can't remember all the details, but, mm-hmm. but basically to conscript, um, to conscript men for, uh, for the army. And, um, and he, uh, that's what it was. So he was, he was removing kind of the immunity that would, would be granted um, vis-a-vis the draft to men who entered the monastery. Okay. Right? And, and understandably, the, the emperor didn't, want men to, you know, like, oh, suddenly God's calling me to be a monk yeah. because I don't want to be a soldier, right? Um, but, and Gregory says like, look, I understand that, but you have to understand that the monastery helps these people get to heaven. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them wouldn't make it there otherwise, mm-hmm. right? And so I think for Boniface, he still thinks that, yeah, I mean, the monastery is a place where people can go and find a refuge and find a place of stability where they can be nourished by prayer, by the word of God. And then that in turn becomes a kind of beacon and a node yeah. for the whole surrounding area and and um, mm-hmm. and helps to sort of sanctify the whole landscape, mm-hmm. right? So we often think of institutions as something that somehow gets in the way of real personal transformation. I think that Boniface would have found that to be total hogwash, right? Yeah, like, wait, um, yeah. you know, intelligent institutions um, are ordered to the clearing of those arteries, right? Yep. So that, um, so in fact, that that cultural transformation can happen. And, and, and you know, I, I think if we, if we look at the, the problems that Boniface faced and apply them to our own day, mm-hmm. you know, a previously Christian, uh, I mean, this, these are complicated things, of course, but right. Christian societies um, that are being repaganized. Like, where where does he see problems? Well, there's religious syncretism, mixing mm-hmm. and matching things with Christianity, mm-hmm. right, and sort of debasing the purity of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Moral scandal among the clergy, mm-hmm. right? Um, the debasement of ritual worship, right? Mm-hmm. So where the again, like we have like priests who are like offering animals on the yep. altar and so on and so forth, but a loss of, of, um, a sense of the worship of almighty God, um, and also big problems with marriage hmm. and with the family. Right. So it's, you know, I, I'd encourage, uh, viewers who are interested in Boniface to pick up a, a copy of his letters. You can find translations of them online for free as well as, um, mm-hmm. uh, lives of St. Boniface. But, um, I found it really rich to, to get to know Boniface 
as a pastor, as a missionary, and in many ways as a really outstanding model of a reformer for the church. Yeah, amen. And also something that you said at the beginning that in many respects he felt like a failure, yeah. which is also, that's just a great lesson for us that, you know, the earthly success of our efforts is not always a great barometer. It's good to see the things that we work on succeed and, and have them be blessed by God. And we ask for those things, but sometimes that doesn't happen. Right. And the labor that you put in is, is laying a foundation for someone that we won't know until God willing, the other side of eternity that it, it bore fruit, but he's, he labored in for things that we today are asking questions about trying to forward the kingdom of God amidst similar circumstances mm -hmm. and that he felt the sting of what seemed like failure yeah. and that we remember that so many, you know, centuries later on, but that that is often the lot of the saints. <laughs> Right. And because it's purifying too, because you, you're you're laboring without the immediate tangible reward of seeing the fruit of, of your effort. So any parting comments Absolutely. about St. Boniface? No, go, go read his letters, read his life. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank Ask you, him to pray Simone. for us. Yeah. Yes, that is right. So thank you. And thank you all for joining us on Catholic Saints. We will see you next time. You can watch these interviews in video format by visiting form.org. Formed is an online Catholic streaming service created by the Augustine Institute and Ignatius Press with award-winning studies and parish programs, inspiring audio content, movies, eBooks, and family-friendly kids programming. To support the mission of the Augustine Institute, please visit missioncircle.org.